Hello everyone, welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. As promised, after looking at the lives and works of Montaigne and Pascal, today we will compare and contrast their ideas while attempting to synthesize a rational philosophical position in light of our own context. This won't be any small feat, but it is an important exercise that is undertaken by philosophers and scientists regularly in many areas. From monism and dualism to relativity and quantum gravity, the job of thinkers is to examine competing views of the world as objectively as possible and attempt to find what the evidence supports. Ring the bell as today we go 12 rounds with Montaigne and Pascal. <laughs> You're giving me a lot of credit to go 12 rounds. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, we might get KO'd in the third round. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, so um, we we did a whole episode on, on Montaigne, looking at his ideas. We did a whole episode on Pascal. And um, it was a little while ago. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, you know, normally we, you can just kind of tune in at any time and, and get a pretty good conversation. For this one, I, we'd, I'd probably insist you go back and listen to the Montaigne yeah, yeah. episode and listen to the Pascal episode, um, just so you, you already have an idea of, of what we looked at before we kind of dive into it. It'd be some context. It'd be some good context. I yeah. Think. So, can you briefly recap the major positions of, of Montaigne and Pascal? Yes, without any of the historical background, because I would clutter it. Basically, Mon Montaigne, who <coughs> essentially invented what we know of as the essay, uh, wanted to find <coughs> some kind of balanced uh, peace inner. Uh, inner security by uh, retreating to his library after public service and writing about his experiences of the world. And so his essays, which was a French word, word his uh, viewpoint with the I, the personal pronoun I, experience, uh, experiencing things, and that was really fresh because people, for the most part, didn't hadn't done that. And more or less, what he was saying is that you shouldn't be too caught up in trying to be uh, so certain about the world and and just sort of surf. Hmm. Not be shallow, but uh, eclectic. And, well, notice this today. Notice this tomorrow. And if this is the way you feel today, okay. And if this is the way you feel tomorrow, okay. But uh, you, not to be stridently committed to one position. So it's not the meaning of life. It's not the, the key to happiness, but it's more or less the way to have as good a life as you can. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now about the history of emotions, and I, I can't remember. That might be the title of the book, but I can't remember who wrote it. Hmm. But it is funny to, you know, he goes through all of history and, and what philosophers and thinkers um, thought about emotions throughout time. And it's funny that sort of the concept of emotion didn't emerge until around that time period. Yes. You know, you had, um, you know, the various philosophers talked about passions and, and different things, but the, the concept of the subjective experience of, of feelings um, was really right about the time that Montaigne came around and, and started to use the subjective eye in, in the essays. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's a, yeah, that's good background for it. And, and he believed things, um, you know, you and I have talked about this plentifully over the years, but he, he thought that we ought to be paying a lot more attention to the fact that animals have more intelligence than, than we give them credit for. Um, he often would go to that. He didn't have much time for philosophy, philosophers, mm. as uh, because he's because he's he was convinced that any philosophical system was going to be taken down by some other philosophical system, and he felt the same way about religion. You shouldn't be committed to one religion because 
and this other one has some truths too, and this other one has some truths. So he sounds to a current person, perhaps relativistic. I, I don't think he was studiously relativistic, uh, but he was certainly not all that keen on human nature as trustworthy <laughs> or yeah. consistent. And that's an interesting point just to dwell on for a second is, is that idea, right? Because that's, that's part of the issue. You know, I've, I've talked about in this podcast and I've, I've talked about it as, as a guest on another podcast, you know, that it's sort of embarrassing for me that like, um, moral and ethical philosophy doesn't interest me as much as some of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and people are always like, oh, wow. You know, like I, to me, that's the, to me, that's the most important part. Right. But that's part of my struggle with it is I think what, what Montaigne was pointing out there, which is that it seems like any moral or ethical paradigm that you construct, there's always a fatal flaw. And then there's always another one that displaces it. And so it doesn't seem to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. And that's also a complaint that, that some people have about, about science. Right. You know, if you look at it, um, you know, cosmology is an easy one just because it's, it's such a theoretical, uh, you know, an observational based thing. You know, oh, well, why do we even bother saying that the, the universe is 13 point, you know, billion years old when we know tomorrow they're going to have another measure and it's going to be 20 or, you know, it's just going to change. Right. But I think that it, the, that viewpoint is, is sort of blind to the fact that change is a measure of progress, right? You know, if, you know, if you were just standing still, then, then you're not, you're not going anywhere, right. you know, you're not making any progress. So yes, change can be frustrating. Um, but I think that it's, Im it's important. And so, um, which isn't to say that, uh, you know, Montaigne doesn't have a point with, um, some idle speculation, right? You know, if, if well, that's what he's skeptical. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, he's skeptical. He, he's skeptical about most of all about human beings extolling their own virtues and ra raising themselves above all things, and saying, aren't, "Aren't we noble and wonderful?" Or the anecdote of you know idealism. I've, I think it was it was supposed to you know it was supposed to be anecdotally Plato or whoever it was said. Well, you know, let's let's think about how many teeth a horse has in its head, you know, rather than going and counting them, right? Like, hmm, how many how many could you fit in there, right? Yeah. So there is there is a a balance that has to be struck, right? I think that we can lose sight of the fact that philosophy is, you know, a, a rational pursuit that's based on, you know, logic and 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 mm -hmm. you know, syllogism and and this some things that have some structure that that leads to um, progress that has, if not, you know, um, concrete evidence, because then it moves into the realm of science. It has some evidentiary support through rationalism. Certainly. Yeah. So, so that, so yeah, I think that <clears throat> that's enough at the start for, um, oh, oh, and, and to say that Montaigne believed that you, you can never, uh, you can never reach God if through all of your intelligence and everything that uh, God gives you the gift of faith. So it's one of those, but, but that was important to him. And uh, that it is through ignorance that we become wise. Hmm. It's not through knowledge that we become wise because we recognize with humility our ignorance and then we can learn. So it's rather Socratic that way. Okay, so that's Montaigne. And then we have... Pascal <laughs> and Pascal and Montaigne probably wouldn't have gotten along too well. Uh, yeah, we're sort of um, couching them as as rivals, but they weren't really. No, um, they at, lived at different times. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Pascal, I remember was uh, if if you re-listen to the episode, it's he was a polymath. He reminds me of Joel. It's it's he's you know, he rethinks what uh, uh, geometry and cylinders, he re rewrites the rules, he creates probability theory, essentially, not not entirely, but launches the idea of probability and Wartard uh, helping us understand the nature of actual vacuum and, 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 and. He was educated at home and he, and he sort of flip-flopped through 
religion uh, from Catholic uh, Jansenist as opposed to Jesuit. Uh, the Jansenists at the time, associated with a person named Jansen, um, uh, were much more stringent and ascetic than the Jesuits. And he found that the Jesuits were, in his view, uh, people who allowed for a whole lot of laxity and a whole lot of setting the bar low for, for people. And he didn't write as much in an organized fashion as Montaigne. He's probably more, in, in general educational terms, if you've heard of him, you might have heard of him because of a little aphorism we'll get to about, about belief, but mostly about a book that was published posthumously after, after he died um, called Pense, which is French for thoughts. And these are rather fragmented thoughts that, uh, taken together, you don't really get a coherent view of everything that he was thinking, which is not all that surprising given where his mind and experience was. But you get a couple of kind of points of focus. And and one of those is his, his insistence that humans aren't animals. Uh, Montaigne might have uh, been led to that idea that, you know, that early on, be, before its time, long before evolution was a thought, uh, but they're neither animals nor angels. And I think that part Montaigne would have agreed with, mm. uh, that we are in between. We are neither of those extremes and we're a mess, and we are inconsistent. And I think Montaigne would have <laughs> probably, he, they would have agreed on that, not not for the reasons that they arrived at it. Um, but uh, he he is very focused on the idea that um, skepticism and rationalism both have some right thoughts. Uh, he's, he says uh, things like, uh, skeptics are right that we cannot even be certain whether we are awake or asleep. How many times have we talked about the matrix? <laughs> uh, the rationalists are right that there are some natural principles we cannot doubt, but whether these principles are true or not depends on whether we came from a good God or from an evil demon, and we cannot know without faith whether there is a God. Nature offers no satisfactory proof that he exists. The best we can do if we do not accept revelation is to bet on his existence. Hmm. And this has been shortened into Pascal's wager. <clears throat> and I think the shortening of it says, well, if you... If, if you can believe or not believe, but if you believe, you're more likely to be saved. I think that demeans. Yeah, it doesn't really convey the same message. But no, it's saying you know, it's rationally, maybe God doesn't exist, but does it hurt to think that God might? Mm. And and I think that's where he might you know, be considered different than. And Montaigne, but he's he's not putting feeling above rationality. He's 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 he says really that we have two different ways of thinking at the same time because he's always talking about the bifurcation of humanity, this collision of things. We're beasts and we're angels, but we're neither. We're just this mess in between. And so there's deductive reasoning, and then there's intuitive reasoning, and he accepts them both. And that's way too complicated for some people around him. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a good recap. You know, I, that's that's the episodes in a nutshell. Again, you know, if there's a lot more to it, so you should you should listen to those two before you before you go any farther. But so, does the thought of Montaigne and Pascal share anything in common? You know, what are you talked about? How um, you know there was there's a couple things there that that they might have. What what things do you see as them having? Uh, similar thoughts about. I think, <clears throat> having read, uh, not in the original. I don't read French, unfortunately. It's, it's, but I've having read translations of Pense, and having read Montaigne's essays, um, I think the very nature of the complexity of 
human inconsistency is probably the most, to me, the most evident uh, similarity between the two or common ground between the two. Now, what do you do about that? That's where they diverge. Yeah, it's almost like <clears throat> that point that they share most in common is also the point where they differ the most once you head down the trails of of the way that, so that they rationalize. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, it's um because you know, thinking about Montaigne, I've you know, we've we've been off for a little while and I've been a guest on a on a few different shows. Um but one of them that I I just did was with a Dharma junkie. It, it it's a it's a guy who's a Buddhist. Hmm. And you know, we were talking about um Zen and, and a few other things and how that sort of conception is that hey, you know, like uh, you know, a lot of what you face, if not all of what you face, is is an illusion, right? And I think you grasp some of that in Montaigne, where Montaigne says, you know, all of this, all of the fancy rationalization and all this stuff that you're you're doing here is just going to get replaced by something else. Yeah. So rather than getting caught up and rather than taking this too seriously, you know, focus on what's happening here, have an awareness of of your surroundings. It's really kind of, it's almost Eastern in that kind of way. Some of the things it like, is when I dance, I dance, right? When I, you know, right. When I eat, I eat. And so, but, and, and you're right. This is interesting. And connecting it with that other the podcast that you did makes, it makes sense. Um, one of the things that Montaigne kept pushing at is, how are you with being by yourself with yourself? Hmm. And that's a pretty deep and important question. There's self-help their essays in the New York Times this week about that very thing. Yeah, and then the the host whose whose podcast I was on, right? He he had been listening to our podcast before he'd had me on. He was listening to the Pascal episode, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I love that quote that he has about you know all of men's problems come back to being unable to sit in a room with their thoughts quietly." He's like, "Because that's the is essence of Buddhism, right?" So you can see that there's some similarity between yeah, well, yeah. between their thoughts, but then. Where they go from there is very divergent. It is divergent because because Montaigne's thought is eat when you want to eat, make love when you want to make love. <laughs> you know, if if you if we go, it didn't exist for hundreds of years; hadn't had, wasn't there yet. But if we go back to the uh, the the ladder or the, you know the pyramid or what, what you know the, of from uh, achieving base needs on the way to self, yeah. Uh, uh, Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow's. <laughs> you, Montaigne is essentially saying the way you get to that. I think Montaigne would say, "Nah, it's not a hierarchy. It's just now you eat, now you come to wisdom by belonging to yourself." <laughs> so, do you think? Do you think Montaigne was was a hedonist at at core, or was there something that separated him from that? Well, I, I don't think he was a hedonist at core unless he was a very closet hedonist because in, in how we generally think of hedonism, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you'll die. Carpe diem. All right, so we generally associate that with partying, drugs, whatever, you know, excess, excess, excess. He went home and went into his personal library, he built his personal library, and he sat and he read, and then he wrote. And then he went outside and he walked a little, and then, and, and of course, it's, it's more complicated than that. But uh, yeah, he, he ate different things that he wanted to eat. I I can't tell you what off the top of my head what his what his range of foods available to him was, but it doesn't sound like excess. Mm. If he if he locked himself in his library and never came out again, like some kind of fortress of solitude, that might be considered unbalanced and excessive. But in fact, he did come out sometimes. He kind of made it sound like he didn't, but he did. Um, so no, I don't. I don't think that that's hedonistic. But yeah. I think people might think he's being more hedonistic than Pascal. Yeah, there's a fine line there, right? Because again, I go back to the, you know, the some of the Eastern philosophies, right? I think that. So yeah, is is there anything wrong with? the pleasures of the flesh, right? I think Montaigne would say no, yeah. but at the same time, I think that he would, he's basing that off of an awareness of, or, you know, an enjoyment of, of what's happening at the time rather than, like you said, 
sinking into excess and vice to the point where it's destroying the rest of your life, right? Or where you're, right. you know, you're no longer able to to engage with other other aspects. And and this is why I'm I'm, I'm perhaps overly <clears throat> boringly, if I have to say the word, dwelling on this. But here's Pascal. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And here's Montaigne. The greatest thing in the world is to know how to belong to oneself. That means getting in tune with not having any other things intruding on your consciousness, which is what meditation is about. But they're very similar yeah. in, in those ways. But I think that Montaigne can be viewed as being more uh, passive, putting his hands up and saying, eh, right. Hakuna Matata, this is, <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get, so let's just enjoy what we have. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we've talked about th their common ground there, so now let's dive into... Uh, which concepts you see as being most opposed in the two men's philosophies. And we sort of just talked Fair about enough. how they start from this, they start from this similar point. But yeah, I think that you're, I think you hit the nail on the head there, right? They both come to the same conclusion, right? That man's primary problem is this restlessness or, you know, this, this inability to, um, identify with, with himself, right? Right. And Montaigne says, like you said, well, become in tune with what it is that you actually want and you'll have a happy life. Whereas Pascal says, we're restless. And so as a result, we should, we should search harder for what's beyond. Right? Yeah. We, Pascal is definitely like, we got to work harder at this. Montaigne is saying, stop working so hard at this. Yeah, really, that's overly simplistic, but I think that's really what's happening. So, you know, the, when uh, Pascal says men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction, mm. that hits home for me. Yeah, he's, lot. you're not going to get more opposite to Pascal than that, probably. <laughs> right. And, and so, so, so Pascal says this, Montaigne would, uh, we'll, we'll get back to him, but, but the idea is, the implied in that statement and so many of his observations are you got to work. Mm. You got to think about this. You can't just sit back and say, Oh, I'm a Jansenist. And so it's okay. Or I'm whatever. Uh, and, uh, and then a Baptist or whatever it happens to be at his time. It's no, it's not enough to say because religion really does a lot of bad stuff. Mm. And he was a man of faith, but only faith that comes from challenging your religion. <laughs> And saying, nope, it can, this can be better. This is wrong. This is flat out wrong. This is systemically awful. I'm using 21st century terms, but essentially what, what he seems to be saying. And, and for him, it is a, a, a drivenness, I think. Uh, uh, I would prefer an intelligent hell to a stupid paradise. <laughs> well, this comes back that's, to, that's a pretty, yeah, this comes statement. back to that, the extended version of Pascal's wager that you were talking about earlier, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, yeah, you might not, you can't rationally <laughs> prove that God exists based upon what we can see, but what's the harm in believing in him? Well, it turns out there's a great lot of harm in believing in him. If you're not willing to challenge or <laughs> reflect on the teachings, you know, that, that exist, right? Both and of them are humanists. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, no, no, I think, yeah, that, that was, that's pretty much it, right? Which is just that, you know, Pascal was somebody who was always, always looking a little bit deeper, always reflecting it and challenging. And I think that if, if all people, if all religious people had that sort of mindset, then maybe the conception of, of God wouldn't be as dangerous as it is. Uh, right. I, and I think, you know, again, the intelligent hell versus the, you know, the, the, the dumb heaven, right? It's, um, I, I think that there's a lot of harm in believing in God, right? If you're not willing to, to reflect on beliefs, if you're just willing to accept some things wholesale and, and apply them in ways that are detrimental to other people. Mm -hmm. I think for, for me, one of the most, um, 
and this isn't a huge long quotation, but uh, it's not one that often that I often encounter. I was going back through my books, and Pascal says, "Man is only a reed, the frailest thing in nature, but he is a thinking reed. To crush him, it does not take the whole universe in arms. A breath of wind, a drop of water, is enough to kill him." Which sort of is prescient looking toward the idea of viruses and things, mm. right? Um, but were the universe to crush him, man would still be nobler than his killer. For he knows that he is dying and that the universe has the better of him, but the universe knows nothing of this. Mm. <clears throat> H.P. Lovecraft. This is a, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we just. I see where you're going. It was a mechanist materialist who said essentially the universe doesn't care at all about human beings, uh, and his stories were about frightening things in the universe that didn't give any a hoot about human beings. Right? Uh, but for Pascal, there is a, if not a battle. A wrestling. I think it's a wrestling I think going on here. Man is an animal and an angel and neither, but has the, the nobility, or if not nobility, the, the undeniable character of recognizing his own mortality and staring back at the universe and saying, I know what you're doing. You don't know anything. Mm. <laughs> now, that, that is not common theology mm. in, in his time. Uh, nor, for one could easily say in the United States, at least for a lot of people in, in our time. And I, and I think it built into that quotation is the whole idea of push-pull, push-pull, don't be complacent, keep working at it, keep working. That um, is pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just, it's just a really interesting position. So, let's, let's put it in more um, cogent terms. What, how, what do you see as being um, the positions that Montaigne and Pascal had that were were oppositional in in okay all right yeah but um one of the things that i think was oppositional was there and this this comes out in this book that we we need to mention again because we've been using this as a as an anchor piece which is um why we are restless um by benjamin uh, story I, I think that was yeah, it. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and one of the things that comes up in the book is the, uh, the notion of friendship. And uh, I think this is one of their, their points of opposition. Uh, this is kind of subtle, I guess, um, but there's a cogency to it where Montaigne uh, can't, he, he has such a close friend Oh, this other man, he cannot, cannot adequately say, he says, if you press me to say why I loved him, I can say no more than because he was he and I was I. Um, and he, he doesn't define it. Pascal tends to try to define relationships in more specific terms for their good points and bad points. Um, <clears throat> Montaigne takes them I think, as they are, as totally inseparable. Uh, as, that's a small thing, but I think it leads to, to larger things. Yeah. Um, it, Montaigne which would write about not being able to speak of himself uh, the same way from day to day because he looked at himself in different ways each day. Pascal is looking for more of a consistency of approach that leads somewhere montaigne as well i'm this person today i'm this person today um so there's uh maybe a a verticality to pascal and a horizontality to montaigne yeah i think that that's a really good description it's it's a very 
visual description of, of the contrast to their, their sort of thinking. And again, I, it, it, it's funny to me. I've, I've been listening to another book, um, by a psychologist talking about, um, uh, the history of emotions. It's a different book from the one that I, I'm reading now, but, <laughs> but one thing that he was talking about was, um, how, you know, humans like to think of themselves as thinking creatures. But really, when you look at a lot of the psychological science, it doesn't bear out, right? Our, our feelings, you know, which are precursors to emotions yep. are really what drive us and our, the, the feelings and the emotions inform the rationality and so you you can't yeah. think apart from your feelings and emotions and you know trying to separate that out is is sort of an antiquated term that was modern in the enlightenment and and during you know pascal's time right um and i think that that is where the separation between the two comes in and, and it's a hard thing to put into words <laughs> a lot of what we're we're trying to do with these guys is hard to put into words. It really is. It's subtle distinctions, but it's important ones that, that separate them. But I think that that's what Montaigne had sort of come to, right? If you were to say that, you know, if you're just a slave to your feelings or emotions, I think that's when you're a hedonist, right? And uh -huh. like we said, I don't think that's what Montaigne was. I, I think that he was still, of them were. Yeah. but I think that he was predicating his philosophy on being in tune with using rationality as a lens to focus the feelings and emotions into a clear picture of who you are, right? Very well said. Whereas Pascal was yeah. still trying to tamp down the emotions and the feelings and say, there's an objective world out there and we can use rationality to come to it, but that wasn't it either, right? That wasn't there was, it either, he had could, something else. Because so. we could also use intuitiveness to come right. to it. Right, yes. Uh, so, uh, take an idea like evil. I already told you, we already looked at that quotation about the evil through religions, but here's, uh, Pascal says, if, if it is an extraordinary blindness to live without investigating what we are, it is a terrible one to live an evil life while believing in God. Hmm. So it's the it's the uh, stacking of priorities. For Pascal, it's it's pretty big. Uh if you don't investigate what and who you are, but it's even bigger and more important because if you live a life that's evil and you think that you're serving God then you're in for trouble. So it's, it's stacking those two things, personhood, but then really the mission is trying to find your place in living a God, not God fearing, uh, a life which serves what you are born with. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit messy. <laughs> Montaigne says we're not so full of evil as of insanity. Mm. Yeah. We are not as wretched as we are worthless. <laughs> so he's he's not abandoning God, but he's saying, "Look, people, we're we're flipping insane." <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and so again, if you think about it from what his philosophy was, right? To him, the end aim is is sort of figuring out who you are and being comfortable with that, and that's interpreting it through feelings and emotions and rationality. And so if, if that's your viewpoint, then you can understand why it would seem insane if somebody were to deny emotions and feeling altogether and then assume that there was something else outside of us that we could only use intellect to observe. Yeah, that sounds kind of crazy, right? <laughs> and so while I think a, a, a lot of Enlightenment thinkers were doing that, that's not what Pascal was doing, essentially, because Pascal wasn't denying the intuitive, um, you know, intuitive rationality. But, no. um, but Pascal did, whereas the end aim of Montaigne was mostly internal. It was mostly, it was mostly looking, in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, looking inside. Pascal is still looking outside, but, but exam with the faculties of emotion and rationality. 
Pascal um, said that the, th- the thing that frightened <coughs> this, this is what put me in Lovecraft's this and zone again, very oddly, but I'm going to have to write something about this. So I, think, I, I think I've got an article happening. Uh, <coughs> the universe, this thing that he talked about before is it, it can kill us any billion numbers of ways, but it has no sentience. But the vastness of it is frightening. Montaigne's not looking up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's looking down on the ground. He's looking in the library. He's walking along, looking at other things around him. Yeah, he had that one quote. <laughs> what was it, right? Like, yeah, I hope when death comes to find me, I'm digging in the garden. You know, yeah, he wasn't yeah. thinking about yeah, that. Th- 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 and yet, there's this thing of, I guess, what niggles at me about the book, and I love this book that we've been reading. Well, because it makes one think and it makes one revisit notes and it, 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 it so it's all good. But, you know, keeping in mind that, uh, idea of what, uh, Pascal said, you know, a human being is a reed, but an intelligent reed can be done in by the universe in any number of ways, but it's better than the universe because it knows it's going to die. Hmm. Montaigne says, there's nothing of evil in life for him who rightly comprehends that death is no evil. Hmm. To know how to die delivers us from all subjug- subjection and constraint. You know, we know we're going to die. That's it. Okay, just come to terms with that and we're fine. Pascal is saying, there's no, we know we're going to die. The universe is going to get us. And the fact that we know makes us better. <laughs> <laughs> Montaigne just saying, Hey, it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So get on with life while you can. <clears throat> I think there's a, there's a, a frisson, a, a, an itchiness, an uneasiness in Pascal that doesn't seem to exist as much in Montaigne. Yeah. So <clears throat> do you see any irony in the fact that Pascal, as the scientist, was more inclined to supernatural notions than Montaigne was? Hmm. Maybe a little irony, but I, I think not surprisingly. Um, and I need to say that carefully, but, and I won't, and I won't be long about this and I won't obviously identify anybody, but in my, in my life experience, uh, with many, many fascinating people that I've come into contact with, <clears throat> it is those who were raised, uh, uh, so stridently in some kind of tradition will ultimately reject it, but then come back to it. And I don't think that that's an unnatural process, but I think it is psychologically uh, built in because of the nature of the raising. Um, so when we have the uh, ability to change our minds or we feel driven to change our minds because we see things very differently when you're living so much of a focus and I remember because Pascal was not an old man mm, right when he was 40 I think he was 49 yeah, I think he was 30 Maybe 39 or something yeah, when he died. yeah so lived this whole Thing. It didn't, it's not that he stopped being scientific, but you, old Star Trek episode again. Uh, how often do you have to be brilliant? How many times do you have to write a, a thing that changes the world? And he did that in his teens and 20s. So is it so odd he's coming to religion? I, I don't think probably. Yeah, it's an interesting <clears throat> idea to think of, right? Because, you know, if you, we have access to technology that exposed us to all kinds of people around the world now right and i think that you see all types you know you see people at um the highest level who are atheist and have always been you see people who are atheist and then religious or religious then atheist or religious atheist religious right you know Hmm. people go through all of these steps in life and i think that the interesting question to ask ourselves right when we look at these progressions that people go through is you know does returning to a belief that one had when you are young, is it just a lifelong episode of cognitive dissonance, right? Where you, you know, you 
had a belief and then you were presented contrary evidence and then you wrestled with it, but then ultimately you rejected it in order to return to your original life story? Or is it a stronger conviction because you accepted this story when you were young and then you were presented with the evidence and you rejected it and then spent your life wrestling with it? And then when you re-accepted it later on, you did it with the the fullest understanding that you had done your best to try to look at the rest of the evidence, right? Hmm. Is it is it the process of rationality serving its purpose, or is it the process of rationality presenting us with self-illusion, right? I That's think interesting. It's, I, it's, and I don't, and <clears throat> you mentioned the ir- ironic, I find it inevitable. And I can say that as a 65-year-old guy who's, <clears throat> what, not quite twice the age that Pascal was when he died, but the more life you I want to say experience not see necessarily there's there's a priori and there's a posteriori so you can come to conclusions because of experience if not direct spirits and inexperience you can come to conclusions just because that's where logic takes you <laughs> but it, it's, and I'm not what I'm saying is not going to be the old guy and we come to know things you can't possibly know is <laughs> no not, not that. But I think inevitably, one traces, occasionally at least, sometimes to one's own consternation, back the, the history of ideas, the historiography of ideas. Mm. So how did I become this? What happened then that led to this? I'm glad I rejected X, but why does it linger? Um, is it because it was just so potent at a time when I was so easily writable, so to speak? Mm. Uh, and I think that happens for most people who think about their past. And it's not a blaming. It, I, I don't think that people obviously have very good reasons to go back and blame people for things that happened to them. Um, but I, it's, it's not so much that. It's, it's where did I come from? And, and why do I keep, and, and, and as, try as he might. Volt, uh, Voltaire, Pascal, I think, represents to me the more volcanic, inextricable process of collision of oppositions within a human being uh, more dynamically than Montaigne. Mm. I know, but I don't know. But but yes, I can be intuitive. But I can, be, you know, again, to go to the pop culture, right? Spock is logic, so he's not. He's half human. So he's logic and he's emotion, and they're fighting with each other. McCoy, the doctor, he's he's rationality. He's a doctor, but he's bubbling with emotion all the time, which Spock is always battering him mm-hmm. about. Right? I think that that's the nature of the human beings. D- despite ourselves, we do things that we don't know why we do, and we castigate ourselves for doing them, or ought. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't mean we stop doing them, but we recognize we do them. And then we say, well, what, what is this? What is this gaining me? What, how am I growing from this? How is this not helping me grow? And, and I think that's what Pascal was about. Yeah. No, I think that was put really well, you know, and I think that if you, if you boil that all the way down, um, from what we were saying, it essentially comes down to, you know, it, a lot of it's based on individual differences, right? Because everybody faces, a, a different life trajectory and different challenges. And, you know, like you said, Montaigne is, you know, one of the clearest examples of all time of, you know, you look at the, the brilliance of, of the rational mind. Um, but you also look at the intensity of the, um, you know, the, the emotional and religious background. And, uh, not many people have to deal with both of those, um, concepts in as high of measures as he did to mm-hmm. try to reconcile things um and so their journey is going to be different than his so I, you know i think we you know we can all see that in in people that we know yeah sure there's some people that return to an idea from earlier in life because that idea was presented to them at an impressionable time and that's what's carrying it through and there's other people that Sure, the idea may have been presented to them at an impressionable time, but they they did wrestle with it and they did 
do some due diligence and then they came to the conclusion later that you know maybe even being very careful not to be susceptible to an idea because it was presented to them at an impressionable time but they were still able to come to the conclusion later on that this is what seemed right to them so if we're late and you and you said that very cogently and, and so if we're looking at well where where do we land between these two i'm not sure that it's necessarily useful <coughs> to land somewhere between them but rather just say what are the questions and expectations of themselves that they have and which of those speak more to what we're interested in thinking about our own selves and our, and our own lives yeah and that's that's kind of the last question i had here was um in light of their work how do we decide how we should live right <laughs> you're so tricky because <laughs> you you know bloody well we don't decide <laughs> we we encounter something all right i'm an eclectic and so not un uncharacteristic to say this or surprising um, we encounter something we read a new book we meet a new person we have a conversation we haven't had before and we ruminate on that we think about it we say what was that about why might that have is that really true what and we read history we read more history we find out more of where we came from and and of the numerous reasons that things happened and and we become less um uh, certain that we are the best or the rightest or the truthfulest or we <laughs> and that's good because it makes us slow down and and contemplate and not be so sure i think maybe the lesson in all of it is if you're so sure about everything that it is to be human then you're pretty much missing the point of what it is to be human yeah no i think that's excellent you've been you've been right on this whole show i've been a little <laughs> rusty but you've been right on and so yeah that demonstrates it exactly right is when you you look at these guys right um they had two different ways of conceptualizing it um but essentially the lesson that you can take by synthesizing the two positions um is that you need to be open to change right yes and they conceptualized it two different ways right to montaigne i think the change was just um an ever evolving process right i i think that you know in the ship of theseus argument right montaigne would would posit that there is no continuous ship right it's right. always changing because the boards are always degrading theseus and things is long are always gone <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. just so and so what are we we are something that is that is constantly in change and so there's no need to fight the change right mm -hmm. i think pascal was also would be a a proponent of change and and you can see throughout his life we talked about in the episode on him you know he went from being rationalistic and not very religious to being very religious and then after his sister died going back to sort of being um a little bit less intense and, and more pursuing of science mm -hmm. but in his writings you know in the quotes that you've read us today and, and during that episode you can see that that idea of being open to change is always in his head right and he says it several times that the most dangerous thing is is being so stuck in your religious you know viewpoints that you're you're not willing to accept evidence from other other things right so he might as well have been a, 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 a sociological evolutionist even though it was way before his time but you know you're you're, you're reminding me of an anecdote this very morning when we were talking pre-show when you were on a trip and your party uh, unexpectedly encountered a rather large wolf. And you start to feel those hairs rising, just like uh, our 
old, old ancestors. Well, conditions changed and you responded to that. Mm. Um, I think in some of the things you've said about military training over the years, if whatever else one might think about how military training works, and it's not irrelevant to what I, this observation is, that if you're taught to adapt to changing conditions, you're more likely to survive. Is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. So it's essentially, without putting the militarism in it, is I, I think what both of them, you're right, both saying you, if you find out something new about yourself, and you say, oh, well, who cares? You're not paying attention. <laughs> and And so you're tossing away the possibilities of making changes in your life, or the way you look at life that can wake you up to, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about miraculous stuff here. I'm not talking about, oh, let's just put on rose-colored lenses and life will just be better. No, I won't. Um, people who are wrestling with very painful, slow ends to their lives aren't going to just wake up and say, oh, but it's so much better. No. But what do you know about yourself? That has value to people around you, that, and, but most importantly, it has value to how you end when death does come. Who was I? What did I do? Was there, is there still something else that I might do? I think both of them were wrestling with that. Yeah. And, and, and maintained sort of a much more <coughs> la 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 way. Um, Voltaire, I don't say Voltaire. We got to talk about Voltaire. Uh, <laughs> Pascal, in a much more uh, visibly dynamic way. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's funny that you bring up the military because we had there was something that we used to say, which was engage, adapt, and overcome. Right, and so sure that applies to military training, but yeah, that that. Kind of applies to philosophy too, right? You mm -hmm. you have to engage with ideas, you have to uh, adapt your thinking, and then you have to overcome, you know, your other preconceptions, right? So until next time, keep pondering.